Welcome to Ancient Answers, where we discuss ancient history and its relevance to our modern world and how we can learn from the wisdom of the pe people that lived many, many years ago. I'm Gordon. And I'm Shane. And this issue today is something that's a little exciting. <laughs> and Shane is just chomping at the bit. Oh, you didn't do that. <laughs> you did not just do that. Start it's with a, a terrible pun. It's about chariot racing <laughs> i kind of want to end it there just because you had to throw a chomping at the bit pun <laughs> you were so proud of yourself too oh yeah i knew that one <laughs> yeah we, but this is exciting this is yeah. a topic listen we're two guys we appreciate our audiences listening but chariot racing come on oh we all remember ben-hur yes oh my goodness it <laughs> So we, we t a, a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about today, we touched on in previous episodes because we had, I mean, our inaugural episode for this program was about ancient sports. That's right. And so we did talk about chariot racing, um, but we also covered a lot of other territories. So we wanted to do an episode specifically about chariot racing because a lot of people don't realize just how monumentally huge this was in particularly the Roman Empire oh yeah um, and that's where that's where we're gonna really focus today is on us on Roman chariot racing because as usual we have such an abundance of records from them but it was also just so incredibly massive when people think about ancient sports in Rome the gladiators are the first things that come to mind uh, it's the gladiators it's the Colosseum very heavily romanticized and glorified well a few uh, good movies a few good movies really helped. Um, and the thing is, is that, yeah, absolutely. Gladiator combat was was immensely popular in, in ancient Rome and in the Roman Empire. But to put it in perspective, the Colosseum held 50,000 Romans. The Circus Maximus held 150,000 Romans. Yeah, and yet I do know that on certain occasions, they estimated they put in 250,000 yeah, people. We don't have an arena in the world today no. that holds 250. That's a quarter of a million people. Yeah, the, so the, um, uh, the, when Caesar, when Julius Caesar first built the Circus Maximus, so the way that it worked was there was an area of Rome where uh, they would hold horse races quite often, but then Julius Caesar being Julius Caesar and wanting to make himself more popular by spending lavishly on the Roman people. And he had made a bit, fair bit of coin. Yeah, yeah, through a couple of operations. Um, so he, he, spelt, he spent lavishly to build the Circus Maximus, and so it was a horse racing stadium. It was based on the Greek hippodromes. Um, and it was designed to hold 150,000 Romans. It was Matt, roughly amazing. It was like 1,100 or 11 or 1,700 feet. I think I have the 1,700 feet. Yeah, exactly. It was 1,700 feet long. Um, it held 150,000 Romans, and it was expanded later by Diocletian. Diocletian. That's right. Yeah, I almost said Domitian. No, Diocletian. It was expanded by Diocletian, and it was. Uh, under his rule, that it was expanded to hold 250,000 people. And like you said, there's no sports stadium on the planet today that holds that many people. I have a little story about that. I actually oh, okay. watched both a soccer game and a concert in the Circus Maximus. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> it's still there. It, it's, well, sort of. <laughs> they, they, they ducked it out with chairs and seats, and they made it into a gigantic outdoor a concert venue. I watched a soccer game. Uh, I watched Star Wars movie. <laughs> and, I, 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 well, I, I, there was, I think, four events that I went to that were held during the summertime using the same Circus Maximus <laughs> Terrid property 
that was built 2,000 years ago. Years ago. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, and there's something wonderfully poetic about a nerdy history guy watching Star Wars and the Circus Maximus in that fact, I absolutely love. <laughs> it was it was the... Uh, I, I hadn't seen the movie in English yet, so I had to watch it in Italian. <laughs> I can just imagine Vader with an Italian accent. <laughs> Darth <laughs> Vader, sonil tu papa, I'm your father. <laughs> okay, we're getting a little off topic, but that's amazing. Um, so the moral of the story is that chariot racing was immensely popular it in ancient huge. Rome. So that's why we're going to focus on that. We're going to focus on some modern parallels. Uh, it's likely to be a two-parter episode, but we're going to play it by ear and see where things go. Well, let's just put up a little bit of a perspective and, and lead into Rome. Uh, horse racing, mm. we we have evidence of horse racing going back to perhaps as early as 4,000 BC. Oh, yeah. Amongst the steppe peoples of Central Asia. Yeah. As part of their cultures as they move around and the different... Uh, tribal units would meet up and they'd have festivals and they would have some type of loose horse racing. Yeah. Now, chariots coming along as a an actual you know, construct, uh, you know, the Egyptians carried them, the Mesopotamians. We do know that they had chariot, chariot racing. They yeah. also had it as a weapon. It was a weapon of war for a period of time. Yeah. But chariot racing faded off around the year 1300 BC when the Use of chariots as a military weapon faded away. Yeah, early because because with chariot rate or with chariots in wartime, you would basically have a wooden platform towed by two horses. You'd have a driver with an archer on the back. That's right. And then they just sort of realized that it was less maneuverable than just having a guy on a horse. And especially once horseback archery started to come to the forefront, the chariot essentially became obsolete for that purpose, and it sort of fell out of favor for just standard cavalry. And it's interesting to realize that nobody had stirrups at this time. Oh, that's true. Yeah, stirrups came along a lot later. They were created in China, I think. Uh, yeah, but they, their effectiveness wasn't until the early medieval period. That's Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where you'd see it. But yeah, they, so, no, so horse racing, just to distinguish the difference from yes. chariot racing... Horse racing it was popular everywhere. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it existed all up, right up until the Roman time. The, so the Babylonians had it, the uh, Greeks had it, uh, certainly the ancient Persians. Yeah, so we've, very we've, we've, we've alluded to the Persians and their affinity for horse racing. They the certainly did. Uh, so, but, but it was, of course, the, one, the Romans that... The Romans turned it up to 11. They turned it up to 11. <laughs> As they do everything else. So... Um, as I mentioned, the so the the Circus Maximus in Rome, which was the stadium for horse racing, had its foundation in the Greek hippodromes, and so chariot racing actually chariot racing, as we said, it was already an implement of war, but chariot racing has its origins in Greek history, and the first documented case of a chariot race is actually from Homer's Iliad. So the story of uh, the 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 Trojan War. Oh, um, the burial. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was the funeral ceremonies. Yeah, yeah, the funeral it was ceremonies. It was the funeral rites for uh, for Patroclus, for um, Achilles's companion after he died. That is the first recorded case of a chariot race, and so th because of Greek tradition, and again we touched on this in our episode about sports, um, all of Greek athleticism had very, very, very heavy religious foundations. So. And because of their mythology and, and the, the legends and whatnot that they carried forward, 
chariot racing became part of the original Olympic Games. They did horse racing as well, but they also, from the very beginning of the Olympics, they had chariot races because that harkened back to Homer's Iliad, which was all the Greek mythical heroes and blah, 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 blah. So, so the Greek Olympics from day one had chariot racing. They would race counterclockwise through the Hippodrome. And, and again, that carried through to Roman times, where again, it's, it was sort of the same idea, where it started out as a religious festival or a religious rite celebrating Jupiter. Um, but then as things changed, it became far less religious over the years and more of a stereotypical Roman spectacle. Yeah, yeah. as a spectacle. It's interesting you mentioned they go counterclockwise because it is, you know, 95 or 96% of all racetracks on this planet go yeah. counterclockwise. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you think they'd be fifty-fifty, right? Because there's yeah. only two ways to go. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. For whatever reason, it's counterclock. I know with uh, I'm a big Formula One fan, so that's another reason why I wanted to talk about chariot racing. And, and later on, we'll we'll draw some modern parallels. But uh, I know with COVID, uh, there was a lot of changes made to the F1 calendar last year and this year, and and so to try and squeeze as many races as they could into last year's calendar, there was a suggestion. Well, how about we run races? clockwise or counterclockwise on the track and then we'll switch it around so one one weekend we'll do a clockwise race one weekend we'll do a counterclockwise race and that was immediately thrown out because the tracks were designed to only go one way so escape roads and safety features and barriers and things like oh, that yeah, yeah, were yeah. only designed to go one way but yeah it's uh it's it's kind of funny that uh now my understanding is that modern racing is done counterclockwise because that's what historically was done but I never found out why it was done that way historically. Uh, I'm sure there's a reason for it. I will do some more research after we've recorded this and see if I can find it, because it's really bugging me. But maybe <laughs> if one of our listeners would happen to have an answer for us, they could share that with us. Sorry for dropping the bomb. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, all the tracks were counterclockwise. So, again, the Romans turned it into a great spectacle. Chariot racing started out... Uh, apparently, original chariots for, for wartime were four-wheeled contraptions, but then they went down to two wheels. Oh, okay. Um, That's and right. And horses sort of did the opposite. For wartime, chariots had two horses, and in early Roman chariot racing, they had two. Um, but then the Romans adopted four-horse chariot racing, the quadriga. And they still did two-horse chariot racing for the, for the course of... Uh, uh, of chariot racing in Roman history, but that was that was little league. That was junior well, stuff. That would be in the uh, other cities. A lot of the provinces, yeah. Provinces or it, it was a way for new drivers to and charioteers to sort of to cut their teeth and, and start getting the experience. You know, it's it's like again in modern racing, you start off in go karting and then you expand from there, and then once you get into the Formula series, you, there's Formula Three, then Formula Two, then Formula One. And chariot racing was essentially the same idea, where you would start off with the the two horses, and then once you had ex gotten some experience and built up your reputation, well, then they might move you into the four horse. It's interesting because I wonder how many actual hippodromes were built in the Roman Empire. I mean, beyond Rome. Uh, I mean, Antioch had one. Jerusalem had one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, Alexandria had one. Yeah, because there's... I had a list. Let me consult my notes here. And while you're doing that, there were... I thought it was interesting that you have uh, certainly history that there was chariot racing in, in this form of chariot racing that uh, 
started as early as 365 BC mm-hmm. within the Roman context. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, like I said, it, it goes way, way, way back. Uh, yeah, we had there were hippodromes built in uh, Turkey, in, or so these are the modern day countries, but so Turkey, Israel, Egypt, Tunisia, Spain, France, Austria, Italy, <laughs> like all over the Roman Empire. They none of them matched the Circus Maximus, which was is Latin for like the greatest circuit. It the, was the great greatest circus. Course. Yeah. So that's it, it was the biggest, it was the best, and it was it was essentially the model from which all other hippodromes were made. Because again, the Romans turned everything up to eleven. And if you want to get an idea of what it looked like, yes. We have to pay homage to oh. what is still the most thrilling movie sequence of a chariot race in yeah. history. Oh, it, it's it's honestly it was Ben Hur, nineteen fifty nine. It is still that chariot race scene is still not just one it's not just the best depiction of a chariot race ever made it's one of the best action sequences in film history and historically accurate and it's exceptionally historically accurate i'm a big movie buff that film has a special place in my heart being both a movie buff and a history buff you got it um i absolutely love that movie but that scene is earth shattering if you want to get an idea you can look it up on youtube uh i would recommend watching the movie but if you want a really good idea on what Quadriga four-horse chariot racing is like, watch Ben-Hur. But there are some very serious differences. I found a documentary on YouTube that was incredible. I'll share the link when we post the episode. It was an hour-long BBC documentary. Oh, okay. That talked about uh, Roman chariot racing. And they actually recreated a, a, a Roman chariot, which was really hard to do. No chariots have survived because yeah. they were made of wood and leather, That's so right. they all decomposed. But they uncovered a bronze toy, a bronze, a small bronze sculpture of a chariot with a horse attached to it. And it was incredibly well done. It was incredibly detailed. And based on that, they were able to recreate oh, isn't that a Roman chariot. And so... We'll use Ben Hur as our as our reference. Uh, in the movie Ben Hur, the the sides of the chariot, like the the basket, I guess we'll call it, the walls of the chariot, uh, go up almost to his chest, up to his stomach. On, so actually, I'll just go. So it, the the walls were high; they went around him, up to his stomach, roughly. The wheels were quite big, uh, probably two and a half feet in diameter, almost three feet in diameter. Seems real um, right. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So. That is a war chariot. That is the kind of thing you'd have an archer on the back and you'd be using and riding into battle. That's not a racing chariot. A racing chariot had a much, much, much smaller lower wall. It's actually more of just a hoop across the front with some leather on it, and it only went as high as the charioteer's thighs. There was nothing on the sides. Well, reduce weight. Exactly. The, the platform upon which he stood was also much smaller. Uh, and the the gentleman who's actually trying it out, he at first thought when he saw the design, okay, well, maybe I stand forward and my knees lean up against the front of this thing for support. Well, no, because if you do that, there's all this wasted space behind you. So then he actually stood back on it and he realized when he did that, the whole thing rotated back. Well, that would take the weight of the yoke and the chariot off of the horse's necks. So he said, that's kind of like taking the brake off and giving them more, there's less pressure on them. Of course it would change. Right? Yes. So it's little things like that. The wheels were much smaller, much, much smaller. Uh, and that created a lower center of gravity, so it was more stable, less likely to tip over. Yeah. So it's these dramatic differences that changed the 
the the uh, the war chariot to the racing chariot. It's the same idea as if you look at you know like a Ford Mustang and then you take the equivalent in a racing vehicle. Well, it's going to be stripped completely out, and you're going to remove anything that's unnecessary till the bare bones. And that's what the Romans did with their chariots for racing. It was ludicrously dangerous. <laughs> Because there was no safety equipment whatsoever. No, they didn't have airbags. No, they didn't. And, and they would wrap the harnesses uh, or the reins for the horses around their forearms in order to maintain control of the horses. So if anything happened, you're just getting dragged through the sand. Which we see in the movie. Yep. In the movie. Yeah. So, and stuff like that, yeah. Uh, so just to keep going on a little bit of the foundational stuff for chariot racing... Uh, with the Hippodrome itself, it was a counterclockwise track. Uh, picture a modern NASCAR track... Pretty much the same thing. Two, it was it was an oval, two long straight sections with turns on the end. The chariots would start at the carceries, so the they were starting gates. Uh, you see modern sprinters on Olympic ovals and whatnot. It's a staggered start because when you're doing a 400 meter race, let's say, you know, the ones on the outside are running a different distance from on the inside, so they stagger it to make it 400 meters across the board. Uh, the hippodromes didn't have to do that because everyone, it was more shaped like a queue, I suppose. Where there was yeah. sort of a long line in the bottom right corner if you were looking at an aerial view. And that's where the starting gates were. So the starting gates were all in a line. Everyone came out at the same line and would have to thunder towards the far end and try to get on the inside. So one thing... Uh, oh, sorry. There was a... <laughs> one important distinction. There was the spina. So it's sort of the median that was that ran the, uh, the length in the center. It was the spine around which the chariots had to race. You had the metai on either end, which were the turning posts. They were three conical towers or pillars yeah. that were quite tall so that the charioteers could see them as they were coming up, and that way they could time their turn. Now, that is where the excitement happened, because as you know from racing in general... That's or right, it's the turns. Yeah, if, if you're on the inside, you're going a shorter distance. So they'd come out the gates, they'd be thundering up the main straight, and then they'd be fighting for position to get as far inside as they could... And then you had to make that turn at the front. So what they would end up doing is they'd pull in on the reins on their left hand to rein in that horse. And then they'd start whipping the outside horse for more speed. And they would essentially drift the chariot sideways around the turning post. So you had to be precise. <laughs> well, you know, you see that in Ben-Hur. Yeah. They're... If you watch carefully, you see that... Oh, yeah. that, that... The, how the turns were made in that way. Yeah, they, so for safety reasons, they're not going as fast as they would have been, obviously, because the film, they, they, it, was the, it was 1959. They had to do everything. They had to do it all. There were no special effects. No special effects. So they, uh, so they, they do go slower than they would have been, and they take the turn wider than they would have. Um, but in actual Roman chariot racing, they would have been right, right up against that thing. And they would have been swinging that chariot wide or sorry, they would have been swinging it very tightly in. And that's where all the crashes happened. And the Romans had a term for the crashes, which was nofragium, which is the same term they use for shipwrecks. Uh, they were, oh, that's right. they were, the crashes were so spectacular and so powerful and destructive that the Roman slang for them was shipwrecks. And that's where people that's where that's where the the wealthy elite would sit was right on the turns so that they could see and have the best human nature has not changed right (laughs) so it's just it's absolutely insane the amount of money that went into these and the amount of prestige and just well they had like heroes they had oh yeah i mean if you think about it 
Chariot racing was uh, NFL, NHL, oh. pro, uh, pro. Well, I don't say baseball. Baseball was a different kind of and, sport, but it certainly football, hockey, F one all rolled F1 into one, all rolled into one. Well, and and you and like modern Formula One racing or modern NASCAR racing. You had teams. It wasn't just a charioteer and his ah, horses. Yeah, that's right. You had an entire team of people behind you. So the way you've got mechanics and engineers and racing engineers and physiotherapists and doctors and whatnot in modern F1 racing, you had all of that for well, I'm with the blues. I don't like the green. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So each team, there were four teams or factions. There were red, blue, green, and white. Uh, they all had different representations that are up for debate. The most commonly acceptable one is that they, they represented seasons. Uh, but there were political associations that were placed on them as well. And so some represented the wealthy elite and the rich and some represented the poor and they got violent. And so I think we'll end were, up or there was a lot of money on the line. on this. There was. Yeah. Oh, but like there were people would throw like spiked uh, tablets and pieces of wood into the track to try and sabotage their the other factions and get the horses to run over them. They found evidence in Tunisia, so uh, ancient Carthage, of scrolls that were curses that were rolled up and dropped in wells nearby because wells were said to, said to be the connection to the underworld. So people were trying to curse other teams in races because, like you said, the Romans gambled. <laughs> well, I've so, got something for you as okay. we wrap up this episode. Okay. I understand that you were able to dig up in the history books who was the highest paid athlete in human history. Yes. And we're going to reveal that name in the second episode. <laughs> we're going to end on a cliffhanger, are we? We are. <laughs> I like it. When you told me this and what it's equivalent today, yeah. it blew me away. So to our listeners, we will reveal in our second part of this episode <laughs> about chariot racing, who was the highest paid athlete in estimated in human history yeah yeah we'll uh, we'll we'll wrap this one up now but we will have a second part of this we'll talk about a little more modern equivalents of chariot racing do draw some modern comparisons as well as talk about the greatest sporting massacre in human history yeah. oh that's even more exciting <laughs> <laughs> all right well thank you very much for listening um that was a very exciting episode for me. I can't wait to get on to part two. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of Ancient Answers. We look forward to hearing from you. Please uh, write to us and comment if you have any. If you know why we go counterclockwise on tracks, please let us know. <laughs> if you have <laughs> any, like to know that. If you have any suggestions for topics that we could do, please let us know. Uh, like and subscribe to our channels. My name is Shane. And I'm Gordon. Thank you very much for listening. Have a good day. 